Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Mark Polson, principal at consultancy firm The Lancat, and Sam Hanfield-Jones, co-head of Seckel Technology at Octopus. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Platforms have made headlines over the past few years as the need for upgrades and differentiation has come to the forefront of the market. The platform space grew rapidly when stock markets rose with an influx of cash from pension transfers. This is already starting to wane and the future of platforms is uncertain. Botched replatformings and upgrades have also hit sentiment towards the sector after advisors were locked out of certain platforms for days. So, guys, firstly, what do you think a platform needs to be able to do in 2019? And do these requirements mean that certain systems might need to be brought up to date, Sam? Uh, Thanks, Imogen. So I think in 2019, the problems that you kind of alluded to there, I think they need to be able to do the basics well. uh, And that's probably not happening in all uh, areas at the moment. I think if you look at what uh, the industry probably needs going forward, it's... uh, integrated technology, so a platform that can talk to other parts of your business. So if you're an advice firm or a wealth firm and you have a CRM, you're using cash flow modeling tools, you've got risk profilers, and these systems don't talk to one another, it exponentially increases the amount of manual work that your firm has to do. That introduces risk into the business and it introduces costs, so it makes your business less efficient. So platforms, um, certainly the next generation, need to be built uh, to integrate readily and openly with uh, other third-party software uh, and customizable as well. So as advice firms and wealth managers look at how they're going to deal with intergenerational transfer, looking after the next generation of clients' wealth, you actually probably expect a more digital service, how can their platform help facilitate that? Um, And yeah, coming back to the uh, original point, it's it's kind of customization and doing the basics well. So if you're getting income on a particular day, then you get that income. Uh, If you want to change the day that you get that income, it's simply a flick of a switch on on the the web browser or or the mobile app, that kind of thing. Mark, do do you agree with that? And how can platforms get to that point? Yeah, Sam's, Sam's um, distressingly accurate there and has nicked all my best lines already. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> uh, platforms, in a sense, should be extremely simple, right? They only do four things. They let you buy stuff. They let you hold it in the way that suits you best, whether that's in a pension or an ISA or, or whatever. They tell you things about it, give you reporting, and then when you're bored of it, you can sell it again. And that's pretty much what they're there to do. And I guess in 2019, although we're almost done with 2019, thank goodness, but as we forge into the sunset of the 2020s, it it seems incredible uh, that this sector, which is nearly 20 years old now, the, the platform sector in the UK, should still be running around trying to find its its back end with both hands on a map, you know, in terms of paying out income on time, as Sam says, or getting trades through and settled properly, applying money quickly, requiring reams of paper for wet signatures, which can surely only be to please Malcolm in compliance and nobody else. Um, I don't actually know anybody called Malcolm <laughs> in compliance, but I bet there are some. Yeah, I do, Malcolm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it's, it's remarkable, right? So if we started today, if we started this sector now, it wouldn't look anything like what we've built by a kind of agglomeration of stuff, regulatory change, and all sorts of other things over the last 
platforms going forward, I think, need to try and put the dead weight of the, you know, all the RDR changes, PS13-1, pension freedoms, all the stuff they've had to deal with, which is real, right? It's hard work to work through. But we've done that now, right? Life moves fast, so what else we got to do? And I think if we asked 100 advisors in a room, would you like, you know, an incredibly beautiful user interface or would you be happy with a, a bit of a grungy interface, but total, total confidence that all the core processes which really affect outcomes for clients, if those would be rock solid and work every time, 150 of those 100 advisors would choose the solidity. And the problem the sector's got, I think, is that that solidity isn't there, which means that the stuff that Sam's talking about, which is totally crucial for kind of really motoring the sector forward, it, it's held back because we're still running around wondering why that income distribution from that fund doesn't reconcile against what we were expecting on the platform, which means there's some problems in the core somewhere. Right. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, well, now you're, you're nicking my best lines, Mark, because my next question was going to be, uh, what would you do with a blank state? So if you could start again, the platform industry in terms of both kind of tech and the charges that, that um, advisors need to pay, what, what, what's the end goal? I can jump in on that. I think uh, starting from scratch is almost always the easiest way. So, you know, Octopus, we've spent quite a lot of time building technology-based products. It's very, very difficult to move an existing business. So it's not just changing technology, it's culturally changing how an organization works. So it means that uh, any kind of uh, plan to shift an industry is always going to be slow if you're relying on existing players evolving and changing. So if you come at this from a blank sheet of paper perspective, you know, we think about the kind of holding and trading of assets as effectively a computer. It should be done automatically and without a huge amount of manual labor behind the scenes. The manual labor is fine in and of itself. It just means that the underlying uh, core, as Mark says, isn't efficient and therefore it might take a week for things to show up on your user interface because you're waiting for someone to manually reconcile something and post it back up to the to the platform. So things like that. So if you can approach the underlying platform technology with a blank sheet, you look at it from, you know, we, we certainly talk about scalability. So cloud hosted, we think is really important. Uh, modular architecture. And that means that when you build things, you're building it to integrate with other things, but you're also building it so that it can be reused. So if you look at what powers underlying platforms, looking at functionality that can be reused by every client because it's designed like that, allows you to be more efficient and you're only using kind of one version of the code base. Uh, and then, you know, that, that integration point that I mentioned at the start, I, I kind of talk about a lot. If, if software is designed to integrate with other things, it's much more easy to, to do if you're starting from a you know, blank sheet of paper. Mark, do you have anything to add on that? Just that I think the natural kind of evolution of what Sam's talking about there is that if you were designing it from day one now, you'd want the platform to disappear, to effectively be as close to invisible as it possibly could be for the advisor firm. The process of buying and selling investments and getting getting um, uh, reports on, on those investments isn't very interesting. For clients, it's not very interesting for advisors either. If we're really honest, what's interesting is the process of financial planning and uh, matching solutions that you, you build to what clients' requirements are and all that kind of stuff. Over the last decade and a half, we, we came through these kind of wars of 
you know, can we make our platform more functionally rich, do more things, tick more boxes? And one of the things uh, we do at the Landcat is a bit of due diligence for advisors on platforms. And typically, when we look at what really matters firm by firm, it's a tiny subset of what most platforms do. And we've ended up with a lot of very, very over-engineered stuff. As a result, the platform kind of looms large in the, in the life of the firm. It should be far less important. And so administrators, for example, should be spending their time dealing with clients much more rather than dealing with back-end stuff. Um, it should only take them 10 or 15 minutes to put a review pack together, not three to six hours, which is very common at the moment. And the, uh, you know, the, the life of the firm should be in the CRM, uh, in marketing for new clients, in providing financial planning in the richest possible sense, and much less about all this other stuff. And if the technology enables the platform to as close to disappear as it can, then that, that feels like a positive kind of outcome to me. But there's, you know, there's lots of implications in that, and there's lots of platforms sinking hundreds of millions of pounds into their systems who would find that quite challenging, I think, because I've just spent 300 or 500 million quid on this thing. The last thing I want is for everyone to ignore it. Uh, I want them to you know, fly planes with banners hanging out the back of them. <laughs> they love it. Um, but actually, the very, very best ones kind of know um, that it's an enabler. It's plumbing. It's there to help people do things. It's not an end in itself. So at the moment, most firms have two options when looking at platforms. They've either got to build the software in-house or buy ready-made from, from a tech firm. Mark, I'll go to you on this one first. What are the benefits of building the software in-house compared to outsourcing and, and vice versa? So, I mean, it's rare that an advisory firm, even a big one, will actually build from the ground up. Um, the, I don't know very much about software development, but I know it's really hard, and very, very clever people, usually in, in sort of Slayer t-shirts, are, are much better at that sort of thing than most advisors. Most advisors are outstanding at giving financial planning advice, and really, really bad at this other stuff. So it, it's quite rare for firms to do that. So usually there's some element of outsourcing going on. The build bit where people do want to try and have some kind of ownership, I think is a, is a big theme at the moment. And we're seeing firms looking to perhaps use providers that don't do everything for you. So they maybe provide the basic trading and administration functionality but you build your own stuff onto the front of it in terms of your user experience and that kind of stuff. Um, that's quite interesting. A number of wealth firms particularly are going down that route. But most advisory firms look at the, the weight of regulation, the capital that you have to put aside, um, and the, the sheer hassle factor of building and running platforms and it's quite hard to make those sums add up. So I, I suspect nearly all advisor firms will continue to have some element of outsourcing in there. The question is, can they sort of ride alongside, ride shotgun with the platform technology providers to provide bits themselves that they think are valuable? And does that do anything good for their stock market valuations if they're, if they're of a size to try and float? Well, the 
Sam will know better than me, but the you know the the job on of building this stuff is not to be taken lightly. Sam, the um, kind of building blocks that Mark's describing there is that similar to um, something that Octopus is looking into? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, building software is is difficult, no doubt. And I think what you have with technology is uh, it constantly marches in one direction. So computer processing power gets better and faster and our iPhones get slicker and more deep with functionality. And it's it's no different in other sectors. It's just the speed is probably the biggest differentiator. So you know, in the platform space, I think what we're trying to do uh, at Secul is open up the opportunity to smaller advice firms to consider operating their own platform. So that means uh, using our technology. So we've done the kind of hard work in building the trading, the custody, the settlement, the client money, the wrapper management and all of this. And we allow them to sit on top of it and uh, operate their own platform. That allows, you know, progressive advice firms to think about uh, what they're actually offering to their end client. So if you are both a platform operator and offering the advice at the same time, you can offer that at a lower cost. So you know, with the kind of initial customers we're uh, working with at the moment, you're seeing them move off of third-party platforms, which might be charging 25 or 30 basis points onto something that's maybe half of that. And uh, using that cost saving to uh, you know make their proposition more compelling, and I think that that's really exciting because you know up until more recently it was the preserve of much much larger firms, but actually the kind of the, the companies we meet day in day out who are progressive, they are interested in how technology can make their business more efficient, how it can take administration pain out of it. And the more of the value chain that you can link together and own yourself, the less reliant you are on other third parties to deliver that. So that's for me really exciting. We meet firms every day who are kind of thinking like that and want to create something that's um, scalable, increase access, uh, lower cost. Um, and then like, if you look at the proposition in general, quite often we talk about what would an advice firm look like if you were starting from scratch today? And I think coming back to Mark's point, which is things should be invisible in the background, we completely agree with that. It should be, uh, it should just work, which, you know, that's what good infrastructure does. You don't, you know, I think a good example is Stripe, who are the payment processing business. They're maybe six, seven, eight years old. Uh, I think they're worth $20 billion now, but they sit behind 50% of debit card payments in UK. But you never know because it just works. And you're not, you don't know about Stripe as a brand because their goal is to power the infrastructure of, of buying and selling on the internet. And I think, you know, the platform space we think should be like that as well. Um, but if you take, yeah, take a step back and go, what does an advice firm look like? Well, you'd probably want a module as part of your, whether it's integrated into your CRM or through your platform, I, I don't think it really matters, but that you can serve clients that only have £10,000. Maybe it's children of clients. And uh, perhaps you have a module where you can offer guidance, which is more like financial coaching, so really basic stuff, but digitally. And then when those clients inherit, or get to a point where they need more uh, complicated advice, it's very easy for the advisor to transition them from being in that smaller client solution into a fully integrated advice offering. Uh, and if you look at what the customers want, in almost all areas of our lives, we look at customization. So you want to be able to customize when you get your food on delivery, how you get it, you want to be able to customize the background on your phone, all of these things. And I think investments should be the same. Um, if you want multiple pots in your ISA wrapper, your platform technology should be able to facilitate that. 
if an advisor wants you to be able to retain ownership and control over your ISA pot because you can do that yourself every year and it's execution only or your technology should facilitate that as well but unless you kind of start from scratch and kind of reimagine the what an advice business could look like you're only going to kind of iteratively change the technology and that personalization thing is, is crucial I think because you know we talk in our sector about segmentation all the time with with prod and, and what advisors are being asked to do but the truth is that when platforms look at advisor firms they segment as well but most platforms are built to try and do everything for everybody all the time. And so, you know, if you're a, a I don't know, like a BDM or something for, for a big retail platform, all you want to be able to say to the firm that says, yes, but can it do X, is yes, it does. But what you'll never say is, yes, and I can switch off everything that doesn't look like what you'll use. So what you end up with, kind of going back to, going back to an earlier point a little bit, is a kind of spread and, and this race to be the fattest, most functional platform, and you get this bloat that happens, and it, it, usability really suffers. Now, the industry maybe gets a bit of a pass for this industry as opposed to the advice profession, because there are these superheroes involved, and they're called administrators, and they work in advisor firms, <laughs> and what they do is they soak up the inefficiency of the industry, and they do it at an incredibly low price. So the industry doesn't necessarily feel the heat of needing to be much, much, much better and much more configurable in the same uh, in the way that Sam's talking about, because these guys kind of do it for you. So you've got humans doing probably what the machines would do. The future probably has to be that the natural segment for an advisor firm is one. They're segments of one, and the firm should be able to make the technology behave in a way that means that if they recruit a new administrator, that that administrator is up and dancing very, very quickly. It's never going to be like burger flipping or anything like that, but they should be able to be effective on a system without worrying that if the wrist slips, that they've bought a load of Japanese warrants that they didn't expect. <laughs> right? And, and the big retail platforms are kind of hidebound because they've got to do everything for everybody all the time. Um, what Sam's talking about is a completely different kind of future, which says, right, Mark Paulson, IFA, you need this, 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 and this. That's exactly what you've got. If you need a bunch of other stuff in the future, it's all here, but you're just not going to see it until you're ready for it. And that feels like a much more scalable at the advice firm level process, but it does require the kind of acceptance that you've got to, you've got to really change how you design these systems. Yeah, and it's very it's it's the long term view as well. So I, you know, I think the industry can continue as it is for ten years and actually not really feel the heat. The kind of the macroeconomics that sit behind it are such that you know wealth transfer takes a long time. Uh, we live quite a long time now, and uh, but if if you look at you know coming back to that customization point, uh, you know Mark, myself, you know what do you expect from every digital tool that you use? It's the ability to uh, customize it to what you want. So you can have your Alexa plugged into your house. You can have your lights turned on when you like. Uh, you can link your Tesla into your energy supplier and it can charge your house when energy prices are, are too high. And yet in the platform space, you don't see any anything close to the level of customization at the client level that I think increasingly consumers will demand over time. Now, it's not one year, two year, but over a, certainly a longer time term time frame. 
I think consumers will start demanding that. And if you're starting to see a 30 basis points charge on your annual um, cost statement, it starts to focus the mind a little bit. And what do you actually get when you're paying for that? I could actually jump in on one other point, which is Mark's point around customization. So Mark, you mentioned uh, how you end up with bloat because it tries to be all things to all people. And that's where uh, we think more modern modular API architecture, sorry to get a bit technical, it allows that. So if you if you go onto the SQL website, our API documentation is all public. And all that means is every functionality that the system does is publicly available. So if you have the technology capability in your in your team, you can go and look at that documentation and choose the parts of the system that you want to use for your business and customize it to your business. Now, the challenge in the sector is that um, there are a handful of advice firms who are comfortable and are thinking like that. They're thinking how technology and how they can customize their own offerings. But we hope that over the next, again, future 5, 10, 15 years, you'll see far more uh, advice firms taking responsibility for their own technology and going, okay, I can customize. I can create a product that is bespoke to me and my business and my investment proposition and my client banks that I've segmented however I like. Um, but it takes an evolution in the skill sets that you see within these businesses. As you said right at the start, building software is difficult, but it is getting easier. So do you think in order to get that level of customization, we're going to need to see more like vertical integration between, say, advice firms and if they have their own platforms and naturally they're taking up, you know, two parts of the value chain, do you think we will end up seeing more quilters in, in the advice space? I, th- I think you'll end up with both because, you know, if you're a firm where you go, okay, I want to build a production line of financial advice where I can profitably serve 200, 400, 1,000 clients per advisor using technology, then I think you have to start thinking about what parts of the value chain stop you from doing that now and take them out frankly. So the more you vertically integrate, the more you control, and the more you can use technology to make that a one-click. So your platform, through to your CRM, through to your investment proposition, all of it integrated, all of it working like a computer should. Part of vertical integration, I think, is vertical integration for the benefit of the client. Yeah. Because the person closest to the client, who's a financial planner, is integrating kind of into that as the centre of gravity. The, the, the truth about most vertical integrators at the moment is they are investment-centric. So it's a way of shifting multi-asset funds or a way of shifting particular kinds of portfolios. Um, it's very hard to make money as a platform provider. It's very hard to make money at scale as an advice business, and we see that with the, with the listed advice firms out there. It's very easy to make money from multi-asset propositions. So you, the center of gravity has been very naturally commercially based towards that. What, uh, what we're talking about here is firms who could be big or small, right? But they're probably going to need the ability to spend a bit of money to have some capital expenditure to say, okay, I now wish to remake my little corner of the industry in my own image. And it looks like this. Now, can I find providers of technology and financial services so that might be a SECO or it might be a back office system, it might be a cash flow planning or advice generation system, whatever it is, can I get those to work together for me so that I integrate into me? And I suspect, once again, to, to try and make this sort of real for firms, when you're looking at selecting 
who you're going to work with going forward. Imagine, again, you were starting a new firm rather than dealing with, with you know, 500 legacy clients or whatever. Imagine you had a green field. Probably, rather than, you know, can I rebalance in these 28 different ways or, or whatever it may be, one of your, your highest priority asks in your due diligence might be, tell me about your integrations and how can I only key things once and how then can both me and my client and perhaps my regulator or my compliance service providers or whatever else see things in real time going forward. And that little turn there just does, it's like, it's like the end of the RDR journey. RDR was meant to rebalance the, the kind of balance of power away from the industry and into the profession. Right, it put advisors at the heart, but that's never totally worked, just because of the, the the kind of monolithic nature of, of much of financial services. What we're talking about here is the natural progression of that, and it genuinely could put advisor firms at the heart. So you'll certainly see loads more VI, but it doesn't mean it's got to be really, really big shops, big consol- big consolidators like a Quilter or an AFH or a succession or whoever it may be, there'll be room for VI for much more nimble and smaller businesses as well. Yeah, I think that's kind of spot on. Like for us, it's vertical integration. The kind of next step is ecosystem, which is whether it's your investment solutions, your platform, your CRM, all of those tools, they simply connect to one another. And therefore, as an advisor, as a wealth manager, you can pick and choose the solutions you want and they integrate with the core of your business and you can just focus on serving clients. Mark, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you tune in to the FT Advisor podcast next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.